Welcome, everybody, to Journey of the Church. We're grateful that you're here today, especially if you're new, if you're visiting. A very special welcome to you. We have a bunch of people from our church out in uh, Israel right now, enjoying uh, just walking the place where Jesus walked. So do keep them in your prayers. It's not always the safest place in the world right now. So they should be back. I think on Thursday they're coming back. So they've got a wonderful, wonderful stories and pictures all over the, the interwebs right now. But I want to begin today by reading Psalm 103. Let my whole being bless the Lord. Let everything inside me bless his whole being bless the Lord and never forget all his good deeds. How God forgives all your sins, heals all your sickness, saves your life from the pit, crowns you with faithful love and compassion and satisfies you with plenty of good things so that your youth is made fresh like an eagle's. The Lord works righteousness, does justice for all who are oppressed. God made his ways known to Moses, made his deeds known to the Israelites. The Lord is compassionate and merciful, very patient and full of faithful love. God won't always play the judge. He won't be angry forever. He doesn't deal with us according to our sin or repay us according to our wrongdoing. Because as high as heaven is above the earth, that's how large God's faithful love is for those who honor him. As far as east is from west, that's how far God has removed our sin from us. Like a parent feels compassion for their children, that's how the Lord feels compassion for those who honor him. Because God knows how we're made. God remembers we're just dust. The days of a human life are like grass. They bloom like a wildflower. But when the wind blows through it, it's gone. Even the ground where it stood doesn't remember it. But the Lord's faithful love is from forever ago to forever from now for those who honor him. And God's righteousness reaches to the grandchildren of those who keep his covenant and remember to keep his commands. The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. So you divine messengers, bless the Lord. You who are mighty in power and keep his word, who obey everything he says, bless him. All you heavenly forces, bless the Lord. All you who serve him and do his will, bless him. All God's creatures, bless him. Everywhere throughout his kingdom, let my whole being bless the Lord. Let my whole being bless the Lord entirely, thoroughly, completely. Just not my checkbook. Let my whole being bless the Lord. Just not my retirement, my 401k, my savings plan. Let my whole being bless the Lord, just not my spending habits, my credit cards, my debt. Let my whole being bless the Lord, just 
not my financial goals, my economic freedom, my budget plan. Let my whole being bless the Lord, just not my money. You know, spending and saving and budgeting can be all great things. But trying to let my whole being bless the Lord by blessing the Lord in every single area except for money is not really letting my whole being bless the Lord. But learning to let my whole being bless the Lord entirely, thoroughly, completely, and even financially, it brings great faith and freedom and love. You know, giving sounds like a crazy idea, especially when it comes to money. It's the age-old awkward topic, especially when it comes to church. But giving actually multiplies our freedom, our faith, and our love in radical ways as we put radical trust in God to meet our needs. And that's what this multiplied sermon series is all about, how God multiplies our freedom, our faith, and our love. So welcome to week two of the multiplied sermon series. If you're able to stand, I want to invite you to stand as we read from our memory verse from Psalm 40, verse 5. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them that they are more than can be told. Today we're going to explore how giving multiplies our faith. But before we get into that, I want to encourage us to continue to pray for the things that we've been praying for in the various sections. So you guys over here, you are salvation. I want you to continue to pray that someone might experience salvation today for the very first time or that they would walk and grow in the maturity of their salvation. This group right here, this section, you guys are revelation. I want you to continue to pray that God's truth, his spirit, And his life would be revealed in our lives here today. And finally, team transformation. A couple of golf claps right there. Team transformation, I want you guys to continue to pray that we would not conform to the ways and the patterns of this world, but that we would be transformed by the renewing of our minds. So Lord, we come before you today. And Lord, this is an awkward, uncomfortable topic as we talk about money and giving. But Lord, I pray that we would have breakthrough in our lives, as we would learn how living for you means to live radical and countercultural even. Lord, we ask for your salvation, for your revelation, Lord, and also for your transformation to be real and alive in this place today. So God, would you be with us? Transform us, we pray. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. So whether you're here today and 
You feel strapped for cash and pinching pennies. Or whether you're sitting on a gold mine and rolling in the dough, I believe that this message might be for you. The message is simple. Giving multiplies our faith. But giving, in many cases, means giving up. So whether you're here today and you feel strapped for cash and you're pinching pennies, or whether you're sitting on a gold mine and rolling in the dough, maybe it's time to give up. What do you mean, give up? Well, let's turn to our scripture in view today, to Luke chapter 9 and see. So turn with me, if you would, to Luke chapter 9. We'll start in verse 1. It says, Jesus called the 12, that is, the apostles, together, and he gave them power and authority over all demons. Not just some demons, not just a few demons, not just a specific type of demon, but over all demons. And not only that, he gave them ability to heal sicknesses. So Jesus gives them the 12 supernatural ability, power and authority over all the demonic forces and the ability to heal sicknesses. So the 12 are yoked up. They are swole with supernatural power and authority. Just like your average, ordinary, everyday, faithful Christian or Christian man might be. Because do you know that when you accept Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior, and as the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you, The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead living inside of you? You, my friend, are jam-packed with incredible potential and power and gifts and abilities, and you might not even realize it. But the 12 did. They realized that Jesus just gave them power and authority over all the demonic forces and the ability to heal sicknesses. And with this... He sent them out. Verse 2 says, He sent them out to proclaim God's kingdom. The Greek is basileion to theou, the kingdom of God. This refers to the reign and the rule and the kingship of God, how God does things. So the disciples, these 12, they're sent out to go and proclaim God's ways of doing things. How God is the king who who blesses the poor, who uplifts and upholds the righteous. How God saves the crushed in spirit. They're told to go out and proclaim this, announce this. But not only that, but to heal the sick. So the disciples, they are pumped up. They are swole with this power and this authority and this ability. But then... Jesus starts crazy talking. Verse 3, he told them, take nothing for the journey. No walking stick, no bag, no bread, no money, not even an extra shirt. What? This is crazy, absolutely crazy. 
This is like an anti-Boy Scout type of model. This is, in fact, the exact opposite. This is how you die. In Scouts, we were required, if we were to go on an outdoor excursion, whether it be hiking or camping or bike riding or climbing, whatever it would be, we were required. It was essential to have in our possession the outdoor essentials. The outdoors essentials was essentially a small bag with some things that you would absolutely need in order to survive in the wilderness in case of an emergency. It contained like a knife, a compass, uh, waterproof matches, a small first aid kit, and a couple other things that we would absolutely need. And now if you had this in your possession, you were fulfilling at least the minimal requirement of the scout motto, be prepared. Well, Jesus is here encouraging the apostles to do the exact opposite of being prepared. He tells them an anti-Boy Scout model to follow. Take nothing for the journey. No waterproof matches, no knife, no compass, no whistle, No walking stick. That means they're going unarmed and harmless. No bag, nothing for which to carry supplies. No bread, no physical nourishment or sustenance. No money, not even an extra shirt. No change of clothes. Scoutmasters and survival guides would flip because this is crazy. Now, sure, they're not going trekking through the Sahara Desert. They're not uh, traveling across the Antarctic, headed for the South Pole. But they are about to engage in spiritual combat. I mean, Jesus just gave them power and authority over all the demons. So who do you think that they are going to encounter? Puppies? Unicorns? I don't think so. Jesus just gave them the ability to heal sicknesses. So who do you think that they're going to encounter? Fitness coaches? Nutritionists? I don't think so. Probably people riddled with disease and infection and contamination and sickness. And in the ancient world, sickness often meant death or pretty close to it. Jesus is encouraging these disciples to embark on perhaps the greatest challenge that they have ever experienced in their life thus far, and he has them do it empty-handed. Or are they empty-handed? I would argue that the 12 are actually better equipped than they've ever been in their entire lives. What do you mean by that? They go with nothing. They, they have no bag, no, no source of food, no source of income. How could they be the best prepared of their entire lives? Well, the 12 are giving up everything because Jesus is teaching them that even with nothing, they already have everything. They have God. And God is the faithful one who proves his provision. 
Jesus is here teaching an extreme lesson about giving, about faith, and about dependence. How giving and giving up demonstrates our dependence on God and trust in his provision. That's called faith. I love what the the reformer of the 14th and 15th century, Martin Luther, said about faith. He said, faith sees the invisible, believes the incredible, and receives the impossible. Then it accepts the impossible, does without the indispensable, and bears the intolerable. Do you have a faith that sees the invisible, that believes the incredible and receives the impossible? And then does your faith accept what seems to be impossible? Does your faith allow you to do without what seems indispensable? And bear what feels absolutely intolerable. That's great faith. But great faith, it doesn't happen just overnight. Consistency adds to it. Dishonesty subtracts from it. Hypocrisy divides from it. But giving giving up in complete and total surrender to God absolutely multiplies it. Well, let's continue with the disciples who are encouraged to give up everything here. In verse 4, Jesus gives them further instructions. Whatever house you enter, whether it's a, a nice, rich house or a destitute, poor house, Jesus says, remain there until you leave that place. So in other words, let your roots grow deep. Build and foster authentic and genuine relationships. Don't be like the other ancient religious philosophers who would go from house to house to house begging. No, stay in one place. Let your roots grow deep and learn to depend on God. Verse 5, wherever they don't welcome you, as you leave that city, shake the dust off your feet as a witness against them. This means we're not taking any of your stuff with us. If you're not going to welcome us, we're not even going to take the dirt from our feet with us. We're going to shake it off. Or this could also mean come judgment day, this is all that's going to be left of you, dirt and dust. Well, that's pretty harsh, but that's Jesus, so take it up with him if you've got an issue with that. (laughs) But then verse 6 absolutely amazes me. This is radical right here. They departed. They departed and went. Where are the questions Like, where's the hesitation? Where's the doubting? I mean, Thomas doesn't even doubt here. What's going on? They just departed? That's the way the Lucan author describes it, that they just went empty-handed. And that says something huge about their faith. They went empty-handed, departed, and went through the villages proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. This is crazy, and also crazy in terms of multiplication. What Jesus is doing here is crazy multiplication. 
Jesus multiplies his own mission of proclaiming God's kingdom and healing the sick 12 times. You guys ever do those uh, multiplication tables? Anyone? No, like three people know how to do math here. Same with first service. I think we had four in first service. Oh, oh, you guys know how to do math. All right, good. Well, you know what I'm talking about. Like you have like a piece of paper and it has like 100 multiplication problems. That's advanced stuff, right? I mean, I don't, okay. Anyways, well, I'm describing something brand new for you. 100 multiplication problems and you have like five minutes to do it. And I remember as a kid, we would sit down at the dinner table and uh, my mom or my dad, whoever would, would hit the, microwave, and we count down for five minutes, and we had five minutes to do as fast as we could this whole entire multiplication table. The easiest ones were like five times something, because that was always going to be a five or a, a zero at the end. Ones were always easy, but 12, that was super advanced. Well, Jesus is here doing some advanced multiplication. He multiplies his own mission of proclaiming God's kingdom and healing the sick 12 times. Not only that, he doesn't just multiply the proclamation of God's kingdom and the healing of the sick, but he also multiplies the faith of the 12 as they radically give up everything and radically depend on God. But Jesus is so incredibly crazy about multiplying the proclamation of God's kingdom, the healing of the sick, the multiplication of faith, that he actually multiplies the mission again. In the very next chapter, in Luke chapter 10, Jesus sends out 72 other disciples with essentially the same restrictions. No wallet, no bag, no sandals, and they went And Luke chapter 10, verse 17, records their response as they return. It says, The 72 returned joyously, saying, Lord, even the demons submit themselves to us in your name. Jesus replied, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning, and it's been a losing battle ever since. Look, I have given you authority to crush snakes and scorpions underfoot, These are images of hostility, evil things in biblical literature. I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. Nevertheless, don't rejoice because the spirits submit to you. Rejoice instead that your names are written in heaven. And isn't heaven what it's all about? When I approach reality, with a heavenly, eternal perspective. Learning to give and give up is a no-brainer, especially when it multiplies my freedom, my faith, and my love, especially when I get to see God active at work in my life. Giving and giving up is an absolute no-brainer. I love what Charles Spurgeon, the great prince of preachers, said about faith and about heaven. He said, a little faith will take your soul to heaven, but a great faith will bring heaven to your soul. Isn't it all about heaven? I mean, isn't God our greatest desire, our highest aim? 
Don't we want to see God multiplied in our lives? Don't we want to see heaven on earth? Don't we want to see the goodness of God bring salvation and revelation and transformation? Or have we settled for less? I want my share. I want what I think is mine. Are we trying to cling to our lives though we will lose them? Or do we want to give and give up and watch God multiply? So are we going to get like the ushers ready and do a second offering here or what? Like what's the gimmick? What are you trying to get me to do? You want me to sell everything and give it away? Tithe more? Do you want me to go and proclaim the kingdom of God and heal the sick with empty hands? Maybe. What is God saying to you? And how blessed do you want to be? How active do you want to see God work in your life? You know, I hear stories all the time about people who do radical things. You know, they give away their car, or they sell their house and give away all of the money, or they give away like a, a really fancy diamond ring for the glory of God. And, you know, these people actually might be in the rows beside you right now. But I hear these stories all the time, people giving massive amounts of money, people turning down opportunities and jobs and salaries, all for the glory of God. And I think, stupid. Stupid, crazy, Jesus-loving faith. Stupid, crazy, Jesus-loving faith. And why can't I have a stupid, crazy, Jesus-loving faith like them? I've been thinking a lot about this. Why can't I have a stupid, crazy, Jesus-loving faith like them? I've been going through this, and I've been thinking about a lot of questions that I've asked myself with this. I thought maybe I'd share it. If, if you're in that same boat, if you feel like you want to have stupid, crazy, Jesus-loving faith, maybe you should ask yourself these questions. What area am I holding back from God? If I want to have stupid, crazy, Jesus-loving faith, I might need to ask myself, do I want to depend on God? But if I don't want to depend on God, that's okay. But who am I going to depend on? I'm going to depend on me, and that's a scary place to be. If you want to have stupid, crazy, Jesus-loving faith, you might need to ask yourself, in what area am I not depending on God? Work, family, relationships, school, future plans, struggles, whatever it may be. Maybe you just need to try a little stupid, crazy, Jesus-loving faith. I have a, uh, 
confession to make. Hi, my name is Jeremy, and I'm a perfectionist. And you say, don't act like you've never been in those groups before. <laughs> Some of you guys are really good at that. Some of you guys act like you've never done it before. But hi, my name is Jeremy, and I am a perfectionist. I try and try and try my hardest to make sure everything goes perfect. Everything is right on the way it should be. I'm not OCD like some people, but I just work tirelessly hard to make sure that I do it, whatever it might be, to the very best of my ability. I want you to keep that in mind as I tell you just this final story. It was a couple of years ago when out of the blue, I got a phone call from a felon, a man who had spent time behind bars. And I got this phone call, and I looked at it, and I, I saw the number, and I picked up, and I said, hey, Jeff, what's up? <laughs> Jeff happens to be one of the pastors here at Journey to Church, my boss, and also one of my best friends. I said, hey, Jeff, what's up? And he uh, asked me a question that he always seems to ask when it's not always going to be a fun day for me. He says, are you ready for the adventure? I said, uh, yeah. And he said, well, I need you to do a wedding. To do a wedding because I can't. I said, okay, that's fine. Uh, why can't you do the wedding? He said, well, like, legally, I can't do the wedding. What are you talking about? Legally, you can't do the wedding? It's in jail. Oh, that makes sense. And so I said, okay, I'll try my best. And so I met with the bride-to-be, the fiancé, who her soon-to-be husband was at the time incarcerated. And I thought, this is a bad idea. And I told her, I think this is a bad idea. And I even told Jeff, I think this is a bad idea. But we thought about it, and we prayed about it, and we felt like God was in this situation, and in this situation alone. This is not our protocol by any means, but we felt like God was telling us, Jeremy, you need to go and do this wedding. Yeah, the guy's in jail, but you still need to go and do it. We realized this because we felt that they would just go to a judge and they would go through a judge, but if I were to perform the wedding, I could preach Jesus to them all the way through. And so we decided, you know what, Jeremy will go and do it. So the day of the wedding comes, it's a Thursday during visiting hours, and I go and I check in with the corrections officer behind the glass, and I slide her my, my driver's license, and she slides it right back, and I go and I, I have a seat next to the bride-to-be, and she is giddy. She is so excited. It's her big day. And there I am, all prepped already. Everything's perfect. I'm prayed up. I got the armor of God on. 
I've got my Bible right here. I've got my notes. Very detailed, specific for this purpose. Because, you know, weddings, you have to get them just right. There's a lot of really important things. You're, you're engaging this covenant between two people and God. You have to get things right. The vows and the rings and the, the I do's and all of that stuff has to be perfectly precise. I was set. Had it all. I was sitting there next to her and I was just reviewing all of my notes ready to go. And I sat back and just let my eyes scan the room. I was reading some of the billboards, white with red lettering. I read one, it said, these items are not allowed in the visiting area. Bullet point number one said, weapons like knives and guns and explosives and stuff. Well, I, don't, I don't have any of that on me. But then when I saw bullet point number two, it hit me like a ton of bricks. No books. No magazines, no miscellaneous papers. I immediately jumped up, ran over to the corrections officer behind the glass, and I said, uh, excuse me, ma'am, uh, by no books do you mean no Bibles? And she said politely, no books, no Bibles. I said, oh, that's not going to work. And I went back and I said, well, um, what about like paper with some notes on it? Would that be okay? And she replied politely, no books, no Bibles, no paper with notes. I said, this is not good. We, we can't do this. And I went back one more time and I said, well, you see, I'm a pastor. And uh, do you think we could make an exception just this once, just this one time where I can bring my, my Bible and my, my notes and you know, she said, no books, no Bibles, no papers with notes. Sorry, pastor. So I went back defeated. Stepped outside, went to my truck, and I prayed, God, like, obviously this is not supposed to happen, and uh, I guess I can just go home now. And I felt like God was not letting me off the hook. Like, I had to go through with this. But I'm like, how could I do this? This is impossible. I don't have my Bible. I don't have my notes. How can I do this? Okay, God, let's go. I left my Bible in the, in the truck, went back inside with just my notes, sat down next to the bride-to-be, and I crammed and crammed and crammed and prayed and crammed and crammed and crammed, trying to memorize all that I possibly could. And then they called us. I stood up, I took my notes, threw them in the trash can. And I wish I could tell you that at that moment, I was surrounded by bright, vibrant light, and the Spirit of God zapped me and put fire in my mouth. But the truth is, I just felt very sweaty and hot and uncomfortable and awkward, unprepared. I said, okay, God, let's go. So we went in up an elevator and through a door and we sat down at some white plastic chairs. And then a moment later, I see a gentleman that I've never seen before and he's wearing a blue and orange 
outfit that kind of looks like nurse's scrubs. And I, I see him behind the, the plexiglass moving his lips, but I can't hear a word he's saying. Motions to the phone. We both pick up the phone. And there, at the Ventura County Jail, with no Bible, no notes, feeling very awkward and sweaty and uncomfortable, but praying consistently and constantly, I learned a valuable lesson about giving up and depending on God. The message is simple. Give up. Even if you don't have the right words, even if you're ill-equipped, even if you feel like you're out further than you've ever been before, it's time to depend on God. So give up. Father, we thank you for this time. Lord, as you are doing work in our hearts, a lot of it feels uncomfortable because you're shaking things up. Lord, as we are learning to give up more and more of who we are, we realize, God, that you are going to be multiplying our freedom, our faith, and our love tremendously. Jesus, we realize that you have given up everything for us, that, God, you are the ultimate giver, that you gave your one and only son for us. And I pray, Lord, if someone in here today wants to experience that for the very first time, they want to experience salvation, they would pray, Jesus, come into my heart. I believe that you died on the cross for my sin. Would you come into my heart? Be my king, because the grave couldn't hold you. You rose again, defeating death once and for all. So come into my life. May your Holy Spirit lead me and give me supernatural power and ability and strength. And help me to live for you, Lord. A life of faith and obedience and dependence upon you pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.